information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Welcome to Corinth. We have been in this series called Messy Grace. Uh, Corinth is a church planted by the Apostle Paul five years before this letter was, uh, uh, five years after this letter was written five years after he planted the church. There we go. And he knew the city. He knew the people well. It was a seaport and entertainment city. It was, it was hopping and popping with the latest, the greatest. Uh, it, it, it was an entertainment mecca of the early Roman world. And it was also known as the original sin city. In fact, the town mascot was the sex goddess Aphrodite. It was a messed up church in a messed up city learning to walk with God. Now, as this church was growing, Paul had moved on uh, to uh, his other church plant project, which was in Ephesus. And while he was there, he got a message that, that things weren't going right in Corinth. So he got this message that things weren't going well. So he sits down and he writes to them and he begins to deal with issues that they're going through, which actually relate a lot to what we're going through in our life today, some uh, 1,500 to 2,000 years later. So uh, Paul points in every one of these issues of God's grace and how uh, all of these messed up Christians were struggling to walk with God, but sometimes walking with Jesus is messy and God's grace is, is always strong in the midst of that. And so they were wrestling with their messy lives and the very first issue that Paul brings up is the issue that they uh, are dealing with division. They're separating themselves from each other. They're arguing over who is more spiritual. And so today, I want to ask you the question, what does it mean to be spiritual? And the whole chapter 2 deals with that. Now, if you've ever been to Barnes & Noble or a bookstore um, that specializes in books, they'll have a whole section, like the spiritual section. And in that spiritual section... You're going to find books about religion, uh, spirituality, uh, New Age books, uh, books on meditation, books on uh, astrology, astronomy. You're going to find all kinds of books, and people read them, and they consider themselves spiritual. Uh, but what does it mean? There's little agreement. Now, if you're outside of the church environment, you might think that being spiritual is to meditate or maybe even to pray a little bit or um, to drink bottled water, uh, to sit in silence and, and to think or to, or to project or to have positive thoughts towards other people or to chant or to give to charity or to serve as a volunteer or to travel overseas or to think globally, to think worldwide. Some people think if you do maybe one of those, then, then you're a spiritual person. And we actually live in a culture today where more people say they're not religious, but they do consider themselves spiritual. Maybe you know someone who, maybe it's you. You don't consider yourself religious, but you consider yourself spiritual. What does that mean? Well, if you're in the church environment, then there's all kinds of ideas of what people think about that. In some churches, you might be spiritual if you go to church a lot, or if you go on a mission trip, or if you memorize uh, lots of verses, or if you're a volunteer at church, or uh, if you really want to go varsity in some churches, and you'll speak in tongues, and that can, that's considered the professional Christians, and then you're spiritual. Uh, some, you're spiritual if you only listen to certain types of music, or if you're married, or if you're single. 
Some will say if you're a virgin. Some will say if you're not a virgin. Some will say if you're poor. Some will say you're spiritual if you're broke or if you're rich. That means you're, you're spiritual. Some say if it's you're young or you're old or that you drink or that you don't drink. Um, some of you might say, well, I know I'm spiritual because I saw I Can Only Imagine movie and I cried. So you have all these ideas of what being spiritual is. What is a spiritual person? This is the issue that Paul is dealing with in chapter 2 with this city in Corinth. He tries to clear up what it means to truly be spiritual. He focuses repeatedly on the active ministry of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. He will teach us a fourfold process beginning with this one. God, the Holy Spirit, he says, works through spirit-filled preachers. It's the first thing he begins with at the top of chapter 2. Now, I want you to know something before we jump in. The world is filled with preachers. You're preached to every day, all day. Every letter you get in the mail, every email that shows up in your spam box, every TV program that you watch, every news source that you listen to or tune into, Every song that you listen to and every class that you take, every book that you read, a message is being preached to you at all times. And many times they're conflicting messages. So how do you discern what is a message from a strong and a true messenger? How do you know who can be trusted? Well, Paul says this in Second in First Corinthians chapter 2, he says, verse 1, And so it is with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence. That means I'm not a great speaker, he said. Or with human, uh, or human wisdom, he says, others are smarter than me. He goes, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. He said, man, I didn't come as a salesman, but as a witness of the man, Jesus. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said something similar in the last chapter. He says, man, I make a conscious decision no matter where I go that the focus is on Jesus. The focus is on the cross, Jesus and the cross. He says, verse 3, I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. That means he was weak at times. He was broken. He was nervous. He was insecure. Now, when you think of the Apostle Paul, you think, man, he's like kicking down doors. I'm here. You know, the man of God and power for the hour has arrived. And, and we get this, this image of Paul. But he paints a different picture. And looking at this verse, I want you to know something. That a spirit-filled preacher is not rock star cool. And I'm so glad this morning to say this because I am not cool. It's good that a spirit-filled preacher is not cool because uh, uh, though I secretly want to be, I, I don't consider myself cool. I mean, I've never shot anyone. I've never been in rehab. I've, I've never been a mobster. I've never been a wild child. I've never made the winning touchdown in school, college, or the NFL. I don't live in a big house. I don't make a lot of money. I don't drive a cool car. I don't have perfect hair, perfect abs, or a fashion designer, and I've had only one woman in my life since I was 17. I don't have tattoos. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't swear, and I like to be my, uh, with my family, and I like to be home a lot. I am so uncool. 
I'm not, and add to that, most pastors are wearing a suit across the country, and they're really not cool, right? They're that plus the suit. I mean, we're not cool. Being a spirit-filled pastor doesn't mean that you're like a rock star. Let me, let me tell you something. Most preachers are some of the most uncool people I've ever met. They are. Paul was not very cool. We know this. Paul uh, was not liked by his peers. We know that. The other apostles didn't necessarily like him a lot. Peter and him argued often. He was actually kind of kicked out of Jerusalem because the the church leaders thought that he couldn't be uh, relied upon because of his past. And everywhere he went, his own church, the churches that he planted... He had to constantly write letters because they were denying his authority. So his peers didn't always like him. And his own people, his own flock, kind of turned away from him. And historically, we know this about Paul that was written outside of the Bible. It's recorded that he was short, he was bald, he had a crooked nose. And due to his attacks, his great persecution that he endured, he was disabled and had a distorted, scarred face, and he walked with a limp. He was not cool. So he says, man, when I came to you, I didn't come like a rock star. All right? Paul says, I mean, when he's writing a letter, you're like, man, I've heard all about Paul. And he's writing a letter, I'm coming to see you. Everybody's like, man, Paul's coming. Paul's coming. I've never met him. Paul's coming. All of a sudden, he shows up, and they're like, what? Who's this guy? You know, he's like Igor. They, thought they wanted Brad Pitt, but they got Homer Simpson. Here's another thing. A spirit-filled preacher is not rock-solid calm. Paul said he was nervous. He spoke with fear, with trembling. He didn't feel very smart. He, 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 he at times felt like, like he was, you know, less. He, he called himself the chief of sinners. He says, man, if you could think of the worst person that God would ever pick, he goes, that's me. I'm the worst of the worst. And I want you to know something. God is calling you to be his voice, to be his preacher, to be the one that speaks his voice. And you don't have to be a rock star. And, and you may be freaked out just to talk to someone. Well, I, I read this and I think, you know, wow. Know this, most preachers, most people, most pastors are insecure and uncomfortable people, including me. I mean, imagine if you did what I did or what I do for a living. 75% of all people say the greatest fear that they have, one of the greatest, is to get up in front and talk to people or talk to any kind of public speaking. Now, that 75% of people have a problem with talking to more than a few people at once. A great fear of public speaking. And I do it every week. And it's challenging, and it's intimidating, and, and I don't want to come off as a nut, as strange, as mean, as ignorant, as arrogant, or as ill-prepared. And I know that every time I speak, I'm going to be judged by it. I'm being graded by it. And every time I speak, somebody's going to hate what I'm saying and possibly even hate me because of what I am saying. Sometimes I even think when I'm speaking that this isn't going well, and I just want to go home. Then I think of the Apostle Paul, and I think, I preach like Paul. <laughs> I preach like him. He says, man, when I preach, I come with fear and with trembling. I'm not very smart. 
I, I just, but I came anyways. And, and, and I think, you know, there's, there's a story in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20, where the apostle Paul is preaching, and he wasn't an exciting preacher. And in this story, he's preaching in a house upstairs, and a guy is sitting in the window, and while Paul is preaching, the guy falls asleep and falls out of the window and dies. It's never happened in one of my sermons. I have had the first part, people falling asleep, but nobody's ever fallen asleep and fallen out of a window or fallen out of their chair and, and died. Well, in Acts chapter 20, uh, he goes down there and he raises the dead and, and then he goes back to speaking. I mean, he wasn't a dynamic speaker. He was not a rock star and he wasn't rock solid calm. Preaching is weird. It's a weird thing. Uh, but it is the vessel that God has chosen and mandated us to be a part of, whether it be in pastoral ministry uh, or you in the ministry that God has called you to, to speak to the people around you. Now, I want you to write this down. The world needs a preacher. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, Paul says, how will the world know unless there is a preacher? The world will not know unless they're told. So the world needs a preacher. The world needs a voice giving them God's word. In this postmodern world that we live in, most people reject authority and they reject the truth. They say, well, man, there is no truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. There is no absolute truth. And, and nobody has authority over me. I'm my own person. Maybe you think that right now. But let me tell you something. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I am the truth. And all authority is given to me. That's what the truth is. So we preach that truth. That's why Paul says, I speak nothing but Jesus. Because he is the truth and he is all authority. The world not only needs a preacher, but the world, uh, but the preacher needs to preach Jesus. This is the big E on the I chart. We can't miss this. If you go to a church and the message is not Jesus, then that is not a biblical church. If they're focusing on just stories of the Old Testament, and they don't bring it home to how that connects to Jesus, they've missed the mark. See, Paul did not say, I preach about God. He didn't. He did not say, I make it my primary focus. I'm determined to speak only about God. He never said that. He said, I only speak of Jesus, who he is, how the Old Testament connects and relates to him, because remember, their scriptures, they didn't have a New Testament. Their scriptures were the Old Testament. So even though they preached the Old Testament, it was still all about Jesus and him crucified. We must preach Jesus, not practical principles or lessons. Did you hear about and closer to Jesus? I always tell our leaders and our small group leaders and our youth ministry is there's three things I just want when, when in, in your group. Or in your, in, in your time with our teens, I want three things. Number one, are they closer to you? Number two, are they closer to each other? Number three, are they closer to Jesus? Not do they know more about God, but are they closer to Jesus? Because there's all kinds of definitions of God, but Jesus is the only 
message that we must stay focused on. He says this again and again and again. Can we learn about other stuff too? Like, yeah, I know about Jesus and, and you know, him, him dying on the cross. But can I, man, I'm having troubles at home. Can we learn about my kids? Man, they're just struggling. Yeah, Jesus is Lord. You know, but tell me about how to, some practical principles about my kids or about my marriage. This is, this is Valentine's week. Happy Valentine's, everybody. You're like, man, where's the Valentine's message today? Well, sometimes we do a Valentine's message, you know, and sometimes we have a love series in February. Uh, this happened to be in 1 Corinthians, and, and, and so you're like, well, man, where's the love? Where's the love series? I know about Jesus and the cross, but give me a practical sermon for my marriage or a practical sermon, you know, about friendship. You know, I could really use some encouragement about my friends or job. Yeah, I need some direction in my job. Man, that work is worship sounds great, you know, or, or I just need some peace in my life or some joy or et cetera. Can we learn other things about Jesus? Listen, Paul says everything is tethered to the cross of Christ. He is the one that fixes everything. Jesus is about your kids, is about your marriage, is about your work, is about everything that you have need of. We preach Jesus' connection to all those things. He's the one thing that fixes everything. Jesus must be given clearly and reachable, he says. When we preach, you know when God chose to have the Bible written? He had a choice between two Greek languages. One was called Classical Greek, and the other one was Koine Greek. Classical Greek was for the educated, for the intellectual. This was the professionals. And then there's the Koine Greek, which is the regular folks, the plumbers, the farmers, the school kids. Guess what Greek language he chose to have the Bible communicated and written in? He chose Koine. But you know what most preachers do? We like to translate it into classical, and then use big words so that people will think we're smarter. I'm kind of guilty of that sometimes, too. And I think, man, I want you to know, man, this, this is kind of cool here. And, I'm, you know, I, I want to be sure that I'm helping you to understand the, the Bible clearly, not make it more complicated, because a lot of churches are not preaching the Bible biblically and that they're making it more complicated. It's meant to be pure, it's meant to be clear, it's meant to be understandable. This is what the humble Galilean peasant who swung a hammer named Jesus Christ would have done. In fact, when he walked the earth, he spoke, not Greek, not Latin, he spoke Aramaic. Now that may not be a big deal, but Aramaic is like the lowest of the lowest slang language of the time. It was a mixed language of a bunch of different dialects and it was not considered smart. It was not considered intelligent, but it was the regular folks' language. And that is the language that Jesus spoke and preached in Aramaic. Why? Because the world needs a preacher. The world needs to preach Jesus. And third, the preacher needs the Spirit of God. In Acts 1.8, they had the message. They had walked with Jesus for three years. And he said, but wait, before you go out and tell the world, go up and you wait in that room for the Holy Spirit to fall upon you. And when the Holy Spirit falls, you will receive power. And then you'll be my witnesses. They had the message, but they needed power. You see, if you want to be a spirit-filled preacher, if you want to be one that preaches and gives God's word, you cannot do this without the Spirit of God. Paul says, I wasn't cool, I wasn't calm, but I did come in power. The power of the Holy Spirit. 
And that is power enough. You know, listen, I may not be cool. And I know I'm not cool. I don't have the cool factor. But what I do have is the Holy Spirit. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what you have as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he goes on. He says, my message and my preaching were not wise, big and fancy, or with per- persuasive words. That means I didn't pressure you or try to convince you with, with just words, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now, some people hear that verse, and it's kind of been taken out of context, and some people will say, he didn't just preach, man, he used the like demonstration of signs and wonders, and it, it was the demonstration of the power of God through healing and miracles and all. You know, God did use Paul in those ways. But this verse is not about that. This is not that. If you read the rest of the chapter, which we're going to, that verse has nothing to do with signs and wonders, but has everything to do with how God takes a simple, nervous, insecure person and uses that in the power of the Holy Spirit to move and to change lives. And those words and that spirit is empowering and giving the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. This is not about signs and wonders. Now, uh, you might have noticed I have over here on the stage a, an item that I... Uh, it is a mystery. It is a, you, there is something under here. It is solid. It's got some weight to it. And um, I just want you to be thinking about this. This mystery that is, well, to be revealed. Let's just say that. So why is the Spirit so important? Well, this is why. Verse 5, he goes on, so that your faith may not rest in human wisdom or knowledge or intellect or 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 fancy words or, or preaching style but on God's power think about it if you can be persuaded into the kingdom by human wisdom then you can be persuaded out of the kingdom by human wisdom maybe you have been that person maybe you as a young person were persuaded into the kingdom you said a prayer as a kid you said a prayer as a youth at a camp or uh, with your parents, and, and you were persuaded, or as an adult, and you were persuaded into the kingdom. It made sense. It, man, it sounded so good. And, and those, the words, that message, that emotion of that preacher, it just kind of got to you, and you were persuaded, and you made that decision. But then years later, you were persuaded to go in a different direction. You followed your own self, your desires, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, uh, you know, you just uh, away from God. And, and, and you're like, man, was that real or not? Well, you know, maybe you were per- just persuaded into the kingdom so you could be persuaded out of the kingdom. There was no power in that decision. That was a decision based purely on intellect. He says, man, but I don't want your faith to be uh, bound or rested or, or some kind of uh, uh, instigated by human wisdom but by the power of God. I want you to write this down. A spiritual person is self is spirit-reliant, not self-reliant. The spirit-reliant is the Holy Spirit. How does an insecure, uncomfortable person share Jesus? Easy, the Holy Spirit. How can you, who feels like maybe you could never share your faith, share your faith? Easy, the Holy Spirit. A spiritual person is not self-reliant, but spirit-reliant. Remember, 
Corinth, this city, was famous for its entertainment. I want you to go back for a moment. Paul's walking the streets, sharing the gospel. Man, they're captivated by large and fancy, beautiful buildings. They had some beautiful temples, uh, arenas, speaking engagements. They had amazing, skilled, impressive, smart orators. Uh, They had actors. They had great music, incredible bands, and wild parties. There was nothing that Paul could do to match what Corinth had to offer. You know, the church tries to do this all the time. They try to match the, the culture in, in style approach, I mean, there's nothing wrong with enjoying some of the elements of music or, or trying to, you know, make the worship experience more exciting. But listen, we're never going to match, you know, a multi-million dollar budget that a TV show, a concert, if you've ever been on a tour, you know, it's like, man, why can't church be like that? Well, you know, no church can be like that because they ain't got millions of dollars, all right? Some of the larger churches have a little bit more of a budget, so they may be a little bit more laser light friendly. But, but remember, that is not what we're to focus on, though there's nothing wrong with those kind of things. But see, that is not the power of God. That is our attempt to just express ourselves through the tools that we have. But the, the city of Corinth was flashy, man, had it. And here comes Paul, man, an insecure, limping, kind of unattractive person. Preaching a new message. Preaching a message that didn't sound wise in the ears of those that were following the wisdom of the age. Paul says, I came in weakness. I came in fear. I came in humility. Uh, It wasn't fancy. I wasn't eloquent. I didn't use perfect words. But I had the power of God. And that's all I needed. Listen, that's all you need. Is the power of God. Of the Holy Spirit in your life. If we want God to use us, we must rely on the Spirit's power, not just our gifting. God empowers the gift. Rely on God, not just our abilities. Listen, if you're a young, aspiring minister, you can't learn in a classroom the power of God. You can't learn in a Bible college or seminary how to connect with the Holy Spirit. You have to get on your face, have to get on your knees, and engage with God and experience and pour out the Holy Spirit in your own life. You cannot learn that. You can only get it on your face. When the Holy Spirit-empowered words are heard by a heart that is called by the Holy Spirit, boom, it happens. Tell you, some of history's most famous preachers were also considered some of the worst preachers that ever lived. Martin, uh, uh, well, I'm not going to go through the list. I, <laughs> I was about to give you some examples. Uh, some of the most famous preachers were some of the worst preachers. Some of them they just read right off a of paper. Some of them they had three words. And that's the only notes they had, and they just kind of winged it and stuttered and stumbled. And, and some of them would talk for hours at a time. But because their words and their humility and their brokenness were empowered by the Holy Spirit, these now, we call them famous preachers because they were responsible for amazing movements of God where hundreds of thousands of people responded and movements were birthed. So God, the Holy Spirit, works through spirit-filled preachers to teach spiritual truth. This is the second major point. 
God, the Holy Spirit, works through spirit-filled preachers to teach spiritual truth. We all come into the world without theology. We are all born not knowing anything. Somebody needed to teach us, needed to teach you about God, about the Holy Spirit, about Jesus, about heaven, about hell, about sin, about grace, about salvation, the whole thing. None of us were born with this knowledge or understanding. We had to humbly listen to spirit-filled preachers and respond to spiritual truth by the Holy Spirit. Spiritual truth. This is what he says in verse 6. He says, we do, however... Speak a message of wisdom or spiritual truth or wisdom among the mature. That means those who are growing in Christ, those that have an open heart, who are responding, who are walking it out. Have you ever noticed how a baby puts puts anything in their mouth? Man, you sit them down and they're like, it's in their mouth. Piece of paper, it's in their mouth. When... One of my daughters was uh, younger, and we, uh, she was you know, just uh, a crawler. That's all she was. We also had a little puppy that was learning to be potty trained. And both of them were missing for a few minutes. It's all it takes. And we walk around the corner, and there is our daughter covered in poop. And in her hand, and she was eating the poop. Fresh little puppy poop. <laughs> Babies will put anything in their mouth. You know, so will immature people. So will the spiritually immature. People who don't use spiritual discernment to know what is good to eat will put anything into their spirit. That is unhealthy spirituality. And Paul is saying, you know what, we feed and those that that are mature receive this spiritual truth. He goes, this is a truth that is not the wisdom of this age, he says. Or the rulers of this age, that means spiritual forces, uh, some will say that means like demonic powers, uh, who are coming to nothing. That means they're, they have certain defeat. See, what we give is not your typical logic, opinions, or ideas. This is not Dr. Phil and Oprah salutations. This is not self-help seminar Sundays. That's all man's wisdom. That's all the wisdom of this age. He says, no, we come to you with a different knowledge, not one that is, that is inspired demonically by the rulers of this age or the wisdom of this age. He says, that will all be defeated. That will all have a sure end. He says, verse 7, he says, no, we declare God's wisdom, God's spiritual truth. That's what we teach. That's what we share. A mystery that has been hidden that God destined for glory before time. See, there was an epic written before creation. Before God said, let there be light, the epic of life was written. God's plan. And then... And, and throughout the history of time, particularly in the Old Testament, there were images and pictures throughout the Old Testament that pointed to a mystery that was yet to unfold but had already been written. But it is a mystery that we, Paul says, now we can see it. Now we can see it. We can see the mystery that has been hidden for thousands of years, for all of eternity. The mystery has finally come to light for us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have wisdom in the mysterious. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, 
they would not have crucified one of the biggest words about Jesus, the Lord of glory. He called Jesus the Lord of glory. You know what that means? That means God who rules and reigns over all and everything in life. It's one of the most dynamic words that Paul ever gives to Jesus. They would never have crucified Jesus, the Lord of glory. The universe was his. And had they known who he was, they would have never put him on the cross. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and what no human has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Now, we like to use this verse in a reference to heaven, which applies, it's, this is a paraphrase of Isaiah 64, but this is really, he says, no mind ever would have imagined that the Messiah would bear a cross. And for those of us who are his, nobody in the history of the world, would have ever imagined, no eye could have ever have foreseen what God had planned long ago for us today. Until now. I want you to write this down. A spiritual person grows in the mystery of God. Ephesians, uh, Colossians, Mark, I've got extra verses in there. Talk about how the mystery is revealed. The Spirit of God gives us access to the deep things of God. Before Jesus came, God's people only had glimpses of him, a vague understanding of him, of his glory, his mercy, of eternity and grace. And then here comes Jesus. All they had was a sign and symbols. And Jesus says, it has arrived. Let me tell you, I am the creator. I can tell you all about eternity. I can tell you all about God. I can tell you all about creation. Now, through the Holy Spirit, now, that mystery is revealed to those that are his. Jesus, the Lord of glory, that is the mystery revealed. He goes on to say, these are the things, what things? Jesus and him crucified. God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. If you've ever wanted to know God, if you've ever desired to go to church or want to read your Bible, if you've ever cared to, uh, about your spiritual life with God, that's because the Holy Spirit is working in you. It's not you. You never chose anything. You respond to the pull and the call of God and respond to that choice by God. If you've ever wanted it. John 1 says our spiritual birth is not born of blood, desire, or will. That means it's not born of our family, it's not born of the flesh, and it's not born by choice. But John 1, 12 and 13 says, but it is born of God. Verse 11, he goes on to say, says, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, uh, you ever look at your dog and wonder, I wonder what they're thinking right now. You ever, you ever a cat? If you're a cat person, God forgive you. Um, if you're a dog person, you ever look at your dog and they're just kind of looking at you and you're like, I wonder what they're thinking. Anybody ever think that or is it just me? I like my dogs. And I'm like, what are they thinking? We're, we're never going to know. We're never going to know what they're thinking. The only way we're ever going to know what our dogs are thinking is if they tell us and they will never be able to tell us what they're thinking. So that is a, a forever mystery. Science 
you know, biology, dog experts can kind of piece together observational body language and response and results to give us what they think a dog might be thinking, but we'll never truly know what our pets are thinking because they cannot tell us. We're outside of the realm of that relationship. Now, much in the same way, we can only guess what God is thinking. We can only guess what he thinks about life, his wisdom, or his thoughts. We can never know the thoughts of the mind of God because it's so outside of us, so outside of our being. We are not even in the same class of, of beings. He is God of all creation, omniscient, omnipotent, uh, 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 omnipresent. He is, whoa, man, far beyond. How in the world can we ever know the mind of God? Enter Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God with skin, and the Holy Spirit is God within. Now we see what a child of God believes is different than what those who are not Christians believe. Well, about what? About everything. Everything. Paul says the world is clueless. They have no idea what God thinks because they don't have the Holy Spirit within. But you have the Holy Spirit within. Write this down. The spiritual person understands when you are born again, the Spirit moves in. I've got a, a lot of additional verses there that you are filled with the Spirit at your new birth in Jesus. Not later, not a second event. When you say yes to Christ, when you are truly born again, the Holy Spirit moves in. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 12. He says, what we have received when we believe is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. You see, you receive that Holy Spirit when you believe. When you receive Christ and what he's done, when you become born again, the Holy Spirit moves in. Why does God give us the Holy Spirit? Well, for a variety of reasons, but this is what Paul says. Why? So that we can understand what God has freely given us. He's given us the Holy Spirit so we can understand Jesus and our salvation. That's why he gives him to us when we say yes to him. This is what we speak. This is what we speak, Paul says. This cross Jesus, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. God, the Holy Spirit, works through Spirit-filled preachers to teach spiritual truth. Here's the third thing, in spiritual words. See, when you became a follower of Jesus, you learned spiritual truth, and you began to learn spiritual words from spiritual leaders using spiritual words, you start to understand words like words like sin, like grace. You know, words like heaven, hell, faith, salvation, born again. These words are rarely used in context outside of Christianity, but now they matter. These concepts matter. These are spiritual taught concepts and words. You see, you may know a lot, read a lot, study a lot. You might be incredibly smart and well-educated and well-experienced. But do you understand the spiritual truth of sin? You can know everything in the entire universe, but do you understand 
the very simple spiritual concept and word called sin. Because here's the reality. If the spiritual uh, word empowered by spiritual truth given by the Holy Spirit as taught by Jesus, if we can get this, then we know that we're all evildoers. We are evildoers. That's what sin means. And so the response is, okay, now what? What do I do with this? Well, Jesus, the cross, grace, mercy, faith, and then other spiritual concepts and words flow from that understanding that can only be given by the Spirit. Without the Spirit, they're just words. Without the Spirit, these are just religious Christian concepts. You ever heard of like the word Christianese? You know, we don't, we can, you know, there's like Christians talking Christianese. It's true because there are words that are, that are unique to Christianity. Words like born again, you know, we can maybe help people to understand what these spiritual words mean, but these are actually biblical words and we shouldn't be afraid of. Maybe we can help explain them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the last thing is that God, the Holy Spirit works through spiritual preachers to teach spiritual truth and spiritual words to make spiritual people. 1 Corinthians 2, he goes on to say in verse 14, it says, the person without the Spirit, that's the natural person, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers themselves, uh, them, but considers them foolishness and cannot, everybody say cannot, they cannot understand them because they are only discerned through the Holy Spirit. They're only, they cannot understand them. The natural person sees this all as a waste of time. Don't be mad at them. Don't be mad at someone who's not a believer. Don't be mad at someone who's not a Christian. I'm not mad at you if you're in this room and you're not a follower of Christ. I'm not mad at you. I'm not. You don't understand. You can't understand. You're blind and have spiritual ears without the Holy Spirit. Think about it. It's like the world has earbuds in. And they're walking around and you're talking to them and you're getting mad because you're like, you feel like they're ignoring you. No, they can't hear you. They cannot hear. Have you ever tried to talk to someone with earbuds in? It's so frustrating. You know, particularly as you get older and your kids start putting earbuds in all the time. I'm like, they'll have them in their ear and they'll say, well, it's not on. I'm like, well, then take them out of your ear because I don't want to see them in your ear. I want to know that you're listening. Don't, don't put this like wall between me and you. And so it's like the world has got earbuds in and we're like, you're being mean. You're being obnoxious. Why are you ignoring me? They're not. They're spiritually deaf. Or maybe they're, it's like the world's walking around blindfolded. The world is literally in the bird box. They cannot see anything. And you're like going, hey, man, how do you like my shirt? And they're not answering you. They're not giving you any response. And you're like, man, how are you not looking at my shirt? Look at my shirt. You know, we're getting mad. They think, we think that they're ignoring us. Listen, they're not ignoring us. They're blind. They can't see. They cannot see so don't get mad. And then I think of it, maybe you go to a funeral and you walk up to the guy in the casket and you're like, hey man, you want to go get some tacos? Come on, come on, let's go man. 
Come on. Why are you just lying there? Why are you just sitting there? Come on, man. Don't you like tacos? What's wrong with you? You know, why are you getting so mad? They're dead. The world is spiritually dead. They're blind and they're deaf. And Paul says they cannot understand. They can't. Stop being mad at a lost world. Stop. What they need, they need a spiritual intervention to open their eyes and their ears to understanding. It takes a miracle of the Holy Spirit to understand Jesus. He draws, the Holy Spirit draws, leads, softens, reveals, and opens the eyes and ears, breaks a rebellious heart and callous heart, and points to Jesus. That's the miracle of the Holy Spirit. The natural man sees all this as a waste of time, but the spiritual man sees all this as a salvation line. See, once you bow the knee to Jesus, all of a sudden the blinders are off. And some of you, you can look back and you can see, man, how God took me here and then 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 here. And I'm looking back and I'm seeing how God brought me all the way to his feet. And you can see it now. Some of you even right now, you can see it. How the Holy Spirit was leading you the whole way. He says this in verse 15. He says, the person with the spirit or the spiritual person makes judgments about all things. That means they have discernment through God's word and the Holy Spirit. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. That means, um, uh, they, that means those outside of, of the body of Christ, they don't discern or understand us. So don't be offended by their judgments on you. Don't be upset about uh, their perspectives or opinions of you. Don't be like, how dare you say this about me? How dare you try to take away my right as a Christian? How dare? Listen, listen. You have spiritual discernment. They do not. Don't sweat their misguided judgment of you. That person is not in a place to judge spiritual truth. They cannot see it. All right? I want you to write this down. The spiritual person grows in discernment. You see, the spiritual person accepts the things of God, embraces the truth of God, and uses spiritual judgment to make choices. Paul addresses this more in the coming chapters in Corinthians. Let's go on to, we're going to talk about it later. So verse 16, it says, the last verse we're going to look at, he ends the chapter with this, for, or so this, who has known the mind of the Lord? Now, he's actually quoting Isaiah 40, where the word Lord in the Old Testament was all capital letters, so he's actually saying Yahweh. He's saying the name of God right there. It says, who has known the mind of the Lord Almighty Yahweh, so as to instruct him? And then he says, well, he raises his hand, well, we do, because we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. By the way, he ends this chapter by saying, Christ is the Lord Yahweh. That's a powerful way to end this. We alone have access to the mind of God, but we, uh, we don't have access to the mind of God, but we do have access to Jesus. And he gives us access to the Spirit of God, who gives us access to the mind of God through his word, through his truth. And this gives us the ability to have discernment when it comes to God's thoughts on sex, on marriage, on family, on kids, on work, on dating, etc. Because the spiritual person grows in discernment. 
So I want to end with a couple of thoughts real quick, a couple of just kind of things to take home that you can hit out of here, and it is this. I'm just going to touch them and move on. Is Number one, remember, to be spiritual means that you are filled with, led by, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit. Being spiritual is not something you do. Being spiritual is something God does in you. That's what he nails down in chapter 2. And then he says, remember, you don't need to be a professional to be spiritual. Some of you are like, man, when I get to be like Pastor Ted, or when I get like Sam, or when I get like like the worship band, then I'm going to really be spiritual. No, you don't have to be a professional to be spiritual. You don't need to pay someone to yell at you. you. You know, I'm no better than you. I just have a unique calling on my life, but you have a unique calling on your life. You are called to share and to preach and to give that word. You don't have to be a professional to do that. God used Paul, a flawed and imperfect person, but he was a spirit-filled man. And then number three, remember, it's not your role to make people spiritual. This is big. This is what I want you to walk out of here. You can't talk someone into Jesus. You can't. You will never be able to convince your mom and dad, your brother or your sister. You'll never be able to convince your children your coworker, your husband, or your wife. You cannot convince that person. Only the Holy Spirit has the power to draw and to give them understanding and for them to respond. This is huge. We have a role. We share the gospel the best. The Holy Spirit does the rest. We sow the seed. The Holy Spirit reaps the harvest. The pressure is off. Paul spoke the word. God empowered the word. Our role is to pray for others, love like a fool, walk it out and tell our story. The rest is up to the Holy Spirit. So what's under this? Well, it's going to remain a mystery. But I have told my family what it is. So if you want to know, you need to go ask them. Okay? A lot like the mystery that God has given us that he reveals to his family. All right? So if you want to know if it's really bugging you, then you go talk to my family. They'll tell you what it is. Okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have shown yourself to us through your word. God, thank you that, that God, you're speaking to us right now. And, and Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to understand uh, that, Lord, through your spirit, Lord, we can have not only peace, but comfort in reaching out to those around us. And, and uh, Lord... Right now, you may be putting somebody on our heart to pray for. I want you to think about someone right now that, that you're praying for, believing for, trusting God uh, to touch or to move. And, and you do your best to share the gospel. But then let the Holy Spirit be free to do the rest. It's not on you to ensure that they are saved. Oh, I wish it was because there's people I love and I wish I could just convince them but I can't, and they can't either, unless the Holy Spirit is the one doing the work. So we just pray for them right now that the Holy Spirit would work in their heart, would work in their life, that the Holy Spirit would draw them and break them and convict them and give them eyes to see and ears to hear. And then you just continue doing your best to love like a fool and tell your story. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.